welcome back you guys to the podcast if you're new here my name is Lyndon and I'm an integrative health practitioner and my goal is to just really rebuild your body and help restore connection for optimal health so mind body spirit all through God's design and the foundations of health is what I'm really after just trying to keep it simple and today I have Sophia on the podcast She is so sweet and so wonderful. I had such a good time with her. She's absolutely brilliant. And I found her on Instagram early, early, early in my health journey. And she was just someone who really helped teach me a lot about the basics, about the foundations. She was the one who introduced me to the idea and the reality of our drainage pathways, which is something that we'll be talking a lot about in this episode. But I think my favorite thing about Sophia is that she just has such a beautiful perspective on health and wellness and holistic wellness. And really their goal is also the same. It's building resiliency in the body so that the body can function optimally. And it looks like just committing to the foundations of health and learning to live again, learning to be human again, and really just trying to take these aspects of you know sleep or community or self-talk or hydration or food and diet and movement and lifestyle and really bringing them into a more balanced state so that our bodies can thrive so in this episode we really just dive into drainage pathways which we will explain and talk about but just an overarching picture drainage pathways are our pathways of elimination in the body so Top down, it's going to look like the mitochondria and the cells to the organs and tissues to the lymphatic system to the liver and bile to the colon. But that's also going to look like the skin, the lungs, the kidneys. And really what we're after in this episode is when these pathways get stagnant and when they get blocked, they can create issues upstream. So if there's any kind of stagnation going on, it's going to affect everything and anything else considering that the body is one and that everything functions together. So it's really important to help support these pathways of drainage so that you can really have a fluidity in your health because there's nothing stagnant that remains healthy. Think about, man, if you get water in your basement and that water just sits there, what is going to happen? It's probably going to get moldy and it's probably going to create a much bigger issue because that water is just sitting there. It's stagnant. It's not moving. It's not getting dried up. There's nothing happening with it. It's just sitting there. Uh, So really with the body, we want to continue to keep a fluid movement and we just dive into how to do that, how to support your body, how to support drainage pathways. And just with the fact that detox, that word detox is such a popular word right now. It's so important that we do not try to promote, quote unquote, any kind of detox or do some parasite protocol or some heavy metal protocol or mold protocol and just dive into these heavy protocols because detox is very expensive. And if these pathways of elimination are not open, it's like letting out bats in a closed room. It's just going to create a lot more issues. So what we want to do is we want to support these drainage pathways. And really the beauty of supporting them is getting back into our own bodies, reconnecting with our own bodies, getting connected with the earth, with our food, with rhythms of rest. Um, and so it's it's doing the deeper work. And so I have all of her information in the show notes. If you guys want to check her out, please do. Please go follow her on Instagram. 
I already mentioned it in this episode, but she has incredible meals and I'm just so inspired by them. And there's also a ton of other goodies in the show notes. So please make sure to check that out. And I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Okay, Sophia, thank you so much for being on. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, Lyndon. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Okay. Well, let's just get started with your story. I am super interested just how you got into health and wellness and even into just the path that you have taken with going into bioresonance. And I just think that you're so brilliant and I've always loved following you on Instagram because you're so incredible at breaking things down and making it easy to digest and understand. So please, yeah, please share your story. Yeah. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Okay. So story time, how I got into this space. And it actually started because of my husband. He got sick after going on a trip to visit his family back in Mexico. And pretty much right away when he got there, he's like, oh, my stomach's not, you know, feeling great. I'm like, well, yeah, the food, you're just not used to it. You know, it'll, it'll be fine. But he also had dental issues pop up while he was there. He had a little mold exposure while he was visiting some family while he was there. He had actual acute like viral expressions happening for him. And he just toughed it out. He did lots of antibiotics while he was in Mexico because it was a longer trip that he was spending time with family. So he left on December 2nd. Um, When he got back on Christmas day, he was 30 pounds lighter, super dark circles under his eyes. He just looked sickly, oral thrush on the tongue. He went straight to the ER when he got back. And of course, everything was normal. (laughs) So, uh, It was really just like, okay, well, we ruled out all the big, maybe potential urgent things that could be going on. So, okay, little peace of mind, but no real answers. He didn't feel great. So over the next few months, we went from doctor to doctor. He ended up having a colonoscopy, imaging, you know, blood work. Everything came back normal. Then we ended up getting slapped with the, well, it's probably IBS is what you got. So we don't really know what's going on. We're going to call it IBS. Then eventually, as he was still kind of going to appointments, the doctors would kind of look at me and be like, you know, maybe it's just his stress. Like, it's kind of like, it's probably just in his head. You know, he's just kind of fixated on it. And at that point, I was like, okay, we probably reached the end of the road here and seeking potential help. We've ruled out all the big potential, big concerns. um, But just as my husband's partner and, you know, witnessing his pain and that fear, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help him. And I just remember telling myself, I just can't be another person who's going to dismiss his feelings and not validate what he is experiencing in his body. And he would just tell me, he's like, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel like myself. I'm not me. Um, So at the same time, by the grace of God, I happened to come across the lovely Emily Morrow, whom you and your community, I'm sure, are well aware of. And she was doing her blood work patterns um, like Instagram where she would break it, break it down. And she would look at those optimal ranges and layer on that detective or root cause lens on top of it. So I'm watching the the pattern she's talking about and her speaking of drainage and how the body can benefit from that assistance to really do what it's made and created to do all on its own. Super, like just sparked my curiosity, like big time. Um, So then I signed up to become an integrative health practitioner because Emily was talking about launching her first blood chem with M course. And I wanted to be able to take it just so I can have knowledge and have a little bit or feel empowered to maybe help the situation we were dealing with in front of us. So um, while I was studying and getting my credentials, we switched uh, my husband's care from the allopathic and we sought alternative care. And we ended up seeing a naturopath 
who put my husband on like probiotics and um, like a, an herbal parasite tincture at the time, looking back, probably still not a good move because his body wasn't really primed to deal with that. And he didn't, he just didn't handle that well either and didn't see any progress. And again, it, it, the alternative realm, it got pricey like really quick with the stool test and then paying to see the doctor each time we went in, um, plus doing like comprehensive blood work panels. We just ended up not sticking with it too long. So we took it into our own hands. I had a conversation with my husband and I asked him if he would feel okay and feel at peace with not knowing the why, like what are, what are we actually dealing with? Like if we don't ever get the label, what you're experiencing, are you going to be okay with that? And looking back, I mean, what he was really experiencing was just that overflow of his toxin load. There was lots of reasons and signals that he's ignored over the years. And that trip to Mexico just happened to be that straw that broke the camel's back for him. And now he was experiencing symptoms he just couldn't ignore at that point. So we started with the basics and food, uh, foundational changes, lifestyle changes, drainage support. And eventually he did do more intentional gut work um, and parasite work. And at that point, he started to gain some good momentum and had, you know, some, he was encouraged by that. And eventually I would say maybe six to eight months, he would tell me, okay, like I feel like myself again. So it was like a huge, just blessing to, to witness that and to be like, okay, we, you know, that was, we could see that change in him by doing a lot of the, by actually kind of that curiosity, following that curiosity and just supporting his body and making some of those basic foundational changes. So coming out of that, I told him, well, all this is way too cool to just keep to ourselves. So I would love to become a practitioner and do this for others or do this with others. And he's like, absolutely. Like you have my full support, like go pursue that. Um, so that's kind of how I became a practitioner. So it was really my husband. That was the main catalyst. Um, and I have my own kind of personal like journey and, um, you know, leading into kind of where I am right now. Um, but, but really my husband's the main reason kind of why, and then on my personal side. So looking back, I had a lot of whispers too, from my body that I honestly would brag about. I thought they were cool. Like, yeah, I only poop once a week or, you know, if I work out, like I don't break a sweat, I don't need deodorant. Like I don't stink. (laughs) So when I was in my late teens is when the Gardasil vaccine actually came to market. Um, And in my first, you know, I'm an adult, responsible adult solo trip to the doctor uh, to get my annual. I, uh, at the end, I remember she mentioned, oh, you, you probably benefit. Like you, you're kind of a little older to meet the window, but um, you could still benefit because of the, um, it'll help you prevent cervical cancer. Are you from developing cervical cancer? So I was like, oh, you know, I'm making decisions for myself. Um, Yeah. Like, why wouldn't I do that? So in hindsight, did not receive proper informed consent. I would not make a reactive decision like that now. That's something I'd go and research so I could feel confident in that decision and make it from an informed place. Um, I ended up getting the series of three and that kind of kicked off a few years of my own like bucket just spilling over. I know the day of my last injection, I broke out in like crazy hives that started like at my feet and just slowly progressed like up my body as the night went on. And I was like, okay, if it gets to my like mouth or my throat, I'm going to tell my mom, like, we got to go to the ER, like something's happening, but it didn't get that, that far up, but I was just really uncomfortable, really itchy and just kind of slathered myself in calamine lotion. So I was semi-comfortable, but that went on for a good year, maybe close to two years. And on top of that, I was getting reoccurring UTIs too. So urinary tract infections. 
And then I was prescribed Cipro um, pretty much monthly and had like my own personal stash in my drawer. Um, I would get a little, you know, symptoms right away, make a call. Doctor would, pres- you know, just fill the prescription. She wouldn't even have to see me, um, which is really wild because again, another thing I did not get proper informed consent on because Cipro is a fluoroquinolone type of antibiotic and has real potential big side effects that could be paired along with it. So if you are, are um, whoever's listening is familiar with the term getting floxed. So it's a, it's, it means your body has suffered like massive mitochondrial damage, pairing that with mineral nutrient deficiencies, oxidative stress, and it's an adverse reaction and the potential that could happen from any uh, fluoroquinolone type of antibiotic that you might consume. So getting flocks, like if you do some research on that, some you know pretty scary uh, side effects and stories that people have, uh, had ex- have had to experience of symptoms. Again, it would be categorized like mystery symptoms if they were to go in and try to get help. It's like, oh no, you're just dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome or you're dealing with you know fibromyalgia. But in fact, they were floxed after consuming that antibiotic. So that's, again, if you, not to say don't ever take the antibiotic, but you should receive that potential. Like you should receive that information and have informed consent to make a a decision that you feel confident in going into. Um, I know, I think as of 2016 though, the the Cipro now has a black box warning, but at the time I didn't get, they didn't, it didn't have that, that label at the time. Um, And there's other potential antibiotics, the Cipro, well, if you look at the end, it'll always have the floxacin. So ciprofloxacin, um, and then there's levofloxacin and then moxifloxacin. Um, and another kind of factor too, to take into account, if you do have to take the antibiotic, what other medications are you potentially having to take alongside it? So is there a steroid? Are you doing uh, fluconazole? Are you doing like an NSAID? Cause that could be another factor that could just increase your chances from potentially um, being floxed and having like side effects. Um, yeah. So it's just, just again, just wild to me. I was like really taking them just like, like preventative even like, just like, Oh, you know, I feel a little, you know, right away and never digging. Like, why am I getting UTIs back to back? Never exploring that. I'm just like, Oh, well, it's just, it just happens. Right. It's just something that's, that's happening to me. Just, just pretty wild. Wow. I had no idea about those antibiotics. I'm so glad that you shared that because I had no clue. Yeah. That was definitely something I wanted to bring up because just looking back at my journey, I was like, yeah, Cipro is one of those in that category. And I've, I've come across people who have been flocks and have had, you know, they become wheelchair bound or again, they have these really crazy random symptoms because the symptoms can be things like um, like neuropathy or like muscle wasting, or you lose your ability to like actually, you know, utilize certain muscles, tendon pain. Again, if you go in, they're not necessarily going to make that correlation. So I just wanted to, yeah, we have definitely yeah. the the platform to share with people. That's something I wanted to bring up that term floxed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you did, because again, I feel like especially in that realm, there's just not enough conversation about what the potential is for side effects, symptoms, different things like that. So for you then, was that before or after your husband was sick? This was probably before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when that happened with him, we were already married and we got married. Um, so that was my Cipro and kind of the UTIs more in my twenties. I well, this was more kind of in my, my late twenties. We got married, um, when I was 29. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Gotcha. Okay. So once your husband's sickness hit, where was your body at? I was in a better spot. Um, I would say 
at that point, um, in a better spot. Cause I'd done a lot of, before we got married, uh, it was also the time where a lot of the non-toxic beauty brands were coming out of the skincare. So it's like, I was doing a lot of the swaps environmentally and reducing my load, at least external. And I was switching from like the microwave, you know, foods, the quick and easy to like trying to eat like whole foods. So I was doing a lot of some of those foundational lifestyle changes and UTIs and the, the, the highs did calm down, but then at that tail end too, I decided <laughs> great decision to get breast implants. So I knew at the time, this is not in my best health interest, but I'll deal with it later. I don't, I want these and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to get them. So then, yeah, fast forward to when I already was a practitioner the last, um, well, two years ago, give or take, I was like, okay, I have these in my body. My main focus in front of me for our family is hopefully to grow our family. So I was really working on intentional just fertility support. And I'm like, well, this is a big obstacle. So that's going to be my top priority. I'm going to save, I'm going to move forward and get the explant. So that was um, a big part of the, of 2022. Um, and then I eventually did get them explanted February of 2022. Um, but I had them in for close to 10 years. They were in my body. Yep. And I didn't have implant illness. I don't put myself in that like category, but again, they were not adding to my health. And I knew for like, if I did have, um, if we did start a family and I had a baby, then my timing would, it would be another, you know, few years before I would be able to actually get them out of my body and, you know, go under something like stressful as an explant. Yeah. So why, what encouraged that for you? What about having breasts? Cause I know that for a lot of people, they just think, oh, they're they're just breast implants. Like what is the problem with that? Why would I want them out? What was the inspiration for you to get them out? Yeah. I think for me, um, they never really felt like me. Like I had them in for so long. I was always aware of them. They never felt like, Oh, I, you know, I forget I have them. No, I was always hyper aware of them. They were always something that I just, they just felt, you just feel their presence. And looking back to, it's like, well, they just don't serve or they're not part of who I am like right now anymore. Like, yeah, that might've been 10 years ago. Like, oh yeah, I want the look. I want the aesthetic to me. That's, that's not important. It was not top priority. Um, even my husband was like, cause that's the question I got too. It's like, well, what about your husband? I'm like, he didn't, he does not, he wants me to be healthy. He does not care if I leave my implants in or take them out. He wants me to be happy and healthy. And it just, it's, it, to me, it was a little bit of, um, like, man, I'm, I'm educating people on how to support their body yet have something that's foreign and should not belong in my body and is not serving my health definitely is exposing me and, you know, leaching into my bloodstream. My body is creating a capsule of protection around it. It does not want it there either. So it was like, no, I, 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 I want them out. I'm at that 10 to 10 year mark anyways, when you're supposed to get them redone or it's recommended. So I was like this, it was my, I was just like very comfortable and like sure in getting them out. I do wish though, kind of, which I speak about this when I was going through the explant, I did a lot more of the emotional side of that removal. Like I don't care about the scars, but it was a little bit of the loving my body and loving my body without that um, aesthetic look to them or what I was used to um, before. So I went through a little bit of that, um, you know, ups and downs, like post explant with just feeling like, oh man, I'm, or, you know, wanting to kind of hide my body or, or not that, you know, more, more like, um, 
the the lack of kind of that love and safety and like acceptance with with what I was left with the physical part of the body. Um, so that's what I when people ask me, oh, like what should I do to prep? I'm like, don't even worry about the detox preps. Like really focus on that emotional aspect and really your identity without them in your body because that's gonna the bigger hiccup I think people um, will encounter when they do explant. Wow, that's so good that you hit on that because again, I feel like people don't talk about that aspect of the explants, but oh, for a lot of women that do have breast implants, that's the very thing they talk about. They're not worried about, you know, all the other things. They're just like, well, basically like, who am I without them? And right. will I still be beautiful? And will people still, you know, whatever. And so mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you shared that because I think a lot of women could relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's again, something, yeah, we don't, I don't even think I, I didn't think too much about it going into it. I was just like, how am I going to recover? Um, what do I potentially have to work on? Like just drainage wise, or, you know, I'm going to have to take antibiotics. So, you know, what's my gut going to look like after that? And then the recovery yeah, was, was rough and it wasn't the physical recovery. It was those emotional, like even or just the visual too. And just looking at your body and like being like, Oh man, Whoa. But it doesn't stay like that too, which is what even my doctor didn't, well, he did talk, tell me that he's like, yeah, this is, don't even look at it. Cause this is not the final like result, but still it's, it was difficult to walk through that. And be like, and not have that fear come up or like, oh my gosh, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I think it is something I want people to explore who are going on their explant journey, like really look at that emotional side and, and yeah, yeah. Who you are again with, without them. Cause you, I've had them in for 10 years. They were, even though they didn't feel a part of me, they were still a visual part of me every day. But yeah, so, so even clothes fitting different and some of the other things that you discover, you know, post explant, you're like, okay. Yeah, no. Were there anything specifically that was kind of helpful for you just in that journey of like getting comfortable in your own skin again? I just, um, I did a lot of journaling to myself, which I would have done before ideally. Um, but I did a lot of just, uh, like putting my, my feelings down and kind of grieving. It was kind of a process. I actually looking back on it, just like grieving that breakup. Um, and then again, being okay with them, like, you know what, I'm actually, I didn't need you in our, our thanks for, thanks for everything you did for me, but I, I'm good now. We can part ways. I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm good to stand on my own without you and feel confident and feel um, sexy and feel, you know, beautiful. Like for, you know, especially like with my, in my intimate relationship with my husband and just feeling like I, like he's not, you know, looking at that or judging that it's more me being fearful of that and being like, oh man, like again, not like accepting it or not loving my, my body, but that's mm-hmm. now I'm in a, in a, yeah, a much, much better place. I'm so thankful I did it. It was, well, so that 2022, I mean, it's a good like two year coming up on my, yeah, two year postmark of explanting and it's still, you know, discovering uh, new states with, with my body, which is good. We're always, you know, hopefully growing and, and evolving with our feelings with ourselves and, and, and our, our, close intimate relationships for sure. Yeah, no, that's so good. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that because I think that there's going to be women that are listening and they're like, okay, that was what I needed. That was the encouragement I needed. So I'm so glad that you shared about that, but you have been dropping some words around drainage and high toxic buckets, drainage, your husband not being primed for parasite detox. So will you just talk a little bit about what drainage even is and what that means? Totally. Okay. So when I 
think drainage. I think most people will think of like the pathways, those pathways of exit. But when I talk to clients or even for myself, um, I'm not thinking of a supplement. I'm not thinking of a protocol. Drainage is not a one and done action that we do or protocol that we run. Um, it's really a way to kind of daily have like a check-in with ourselves and refocus where we might need it. So when I'm assessing drainage, I'm, you know, asking like, Hey, what's my stress state right now? What's my nervous system looking like? I know I can't avoid all stress, but how can I support myself where I'm at now with situations I have on my plate right now? Um, how can I navigate that without it kind of unraveling me? And this can include voicing my thoughts or having a conversation out loud or putting it down on paper putting up some boundaries if I need to. A lot of the uncomfortable things we don't want to do and we don't want to prioritize or even something as simple as, hey, let's close social media. Let's. I love Instagram, but let's just put the phone down and not like pop open like the app. What's going on now? And consuming constantly. Um, can I just maybe change my scenery, go on a little bit of a walk? Um, then other things I'm asking, like, okay, what's my morning routine looking like? Is it struggling? How can I maybe change some things around to just set myself up better Then going into the evening routine. Same thing. Um, or looking at sleep, what's going on with sleep. Maybe I'm looking at my phone too late. Can I, you know, put a little bit of a pause and give myself a little proper wind down. Um, when it comes to digestion, how am I digesting? What can I do to support that? Um, what about even my nourishment? How am I nourishing my body? Am I skipping meals? Am I grabbing things that are maybe not in a balanced blood sugar supportive way? How are my bowels moving? Am I having a good bowel movement? Am I experiencing some constipation? And then looking at just movement, um, have I moved today or, or have I been mostly sedentary? And then hydration. What does my hydration look like? When's the last time I had a drink of water? So I'm just kind of going through some of those like questions, but all those questions will cover a lot of our drainage pathways or routes of exit or just that support. So when I talk drainage, that's kind of what I'm mainly thinking about is like, um, what are my daily, basically like lifestyle choices? Am I, um, do I need to reassess and kind of bring some like, a, you know, either attention to a certain area or like redirect myself to just, again, set myself up for like success or just a better, um, to a better flow to my day. That's awesome. Because I think a lot of times I hear that it's like, okay, am I pooping? They're not asking the question of where does it start upstream? Like how, is my stress then how is my gut and then you know the constipation being like a downstream issue so i actually i love those questions and i think i'm gonna yeah. start doing that like you said the daily those daily foundational practices do affect everything else like our body's not a it doesn't work in silos like it's working together as a whole right no that's so good so for people listening that have never heard of even what drainage pathways are can you just break down what they are and then maybe some symptoms of just if someone's having like a high toxic bucket and their drainage pathways are clogged up and mm -hmm. they they don't even know where to start got it got it okay so drainage pathway so our bodies are amazing and do a lot to convert and really excrete waste byproducts that we're creating, or maybe we might be consuming from the external, like outside in. So when we do layer on that external, on top of what our body's already doing, think like pollution, potential water contaminants, things we're putting on our skin, even chronic states of stress or undernourishment or medications, anything that's going to add a stressor to the body, that could be a lot to ask our bodies to keep up with. And they're working pretty hard as it is. 
So to keep up with the exposures, our states of stress, we might start to have our pathways of elimination, maybe bogged down, backed up, experiencing stagnation, or having to adapt for that prolonged period of stress. So routes of entry in lungs, air we're breathing in, skin, things were soaking or could be soaked into the skin, and then stomach were consuming things. He stops that things will um, hit before they exit the body, your cells, your organs, your tissues, the lymphatic system, even the glymphatic system, our brain. And then those routes of exit, skin as well, through our sweat, kidneys, through our urine, um, colon, through bowel movements, lungs, again, through breathing out, even liver and our bile is really important. Bile is a very important drainage fluid. A lot of our toxicity, waste, excess cholesterol, excess hormones that are not going to be utilized are going to be bound up by the liver, placed into bile. And hopefully if everything's flowing good, got good movement, fine to a bowel movement and head out of the body. And then for women too, I would put our menstrual cycle as another really important drainage pathway and something to be look for clues and see like, do we have other imbalances going on? Menstrual cycle is going to give us some good indication, just like looking at a bowel movement um, would give us some good clues too on what's going on with, with digestion. Um, and then if accumulation begins, say we do experience that stagnation, body can't keep up and we don't do anything to change our either environment or our lifestyle choices, those organs are going to try, try and do their job, try and function under that continued stress. But eventually you start to experience now those symptoms or the disease from the body. And that doesn't happen overnight too, which is why sometimes it can fly under the radar. It's more subtle changes um, with that accumulation over time. But that's why it's important to have, if you just have some of those daily check-ins and kind of just a little of the assessment and kind of being in tune with the body, when in doubt, that's where you should focus those daily lifestyle choices. I was really a true preventative health strategy to really keep away like a lot of that stagnation or potential symptoms from popping up and always working to just support those pathways of elimination and just really starting small because those small changes really do add up really, really quickly. Um, And then symptom wise, it could be really any chronic symptom that's like lingering, um, but PMS around menstrual cycle, um, experiencing maybe cellulite, any type of skin condition, inflammatory skin condition, think more like eczema, um, things like digestive distress, do you, or do you have nausea popping up left and right, burping a lot, do you experience bloating, acid reflux, or sensitivities around foods, or even food aversions is another good clue that there's, you know, something going on in the body, headaches that are persistent, having like gas, um, bad breath, EO, poor sleep, um, even like midday energy dips, um, blood sugar regulation issues, any bowel irregularity. So either it's constipation, probably most common, but you can also, if you have two loose stools that are constant, that's still um, some stagnation going on or just even pathway impairment, any bowel irregularity, probably most common, like when it comes to symptom wise. But yeah, any chronic like lingering symptom, I would say is a good indication that there's some stagnation going on within those drainage pathways. Okay, gotcha. I remember when I found your page and you were talking about drainage and I was like, oh, what does this mean? And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I have so many issues. Like I check for all of these and I was totally the person that didn't sweat. I barely ever pooped. I mean, I had all the issues. And so for some, okay, so let's just give an example of someone who might be struggling with constipation. Struggling with constipation, has never had regular bowels, 
with someone like that, I know every person is different. And so this is going to be very, very general. But how would you kind of start with someone like that in helping getting those bowels to be more regular? Usually it's, I got to look at their, like, what's, what, what does their day look like? What, what, what are they nourishing their body with? I really like to start with, okay, what are you consuming first? So if we're maybe doing crazy amounts of like dairy, dairy can be constipating, you know, for certain people. So it's like, okay, maybe they're you know drinking lots of milk. Like that could be somewhere we could start. Let's pull that back a little or kind of bring that back into balance. Or maybe they're not even hydrating appropriately. They're having, you know, uh, two glasses of water a day which is very, very common too. So let's just work on hydration or maybe they're really sedentary. They're stuck at their desk for, you know, nine hours a day. They're not really moving much. I would start with just some of those simple like lifestyle changes. Like, Hey, can you go on a 15 minute walk after you have a meal? Um, or maybe can you add some more fiber or color on your plate when you are nourishing your body just to support and then hydration, the, of course, we can add in things like supplement wise, like, oh, magnesium or things to move the bowels. But you also want to get to your body doing it on its own without having <clears throat> to have like that Band-Aid support for an extended period of time. So that's kind of I just, you know, even even putting your own hands on your own body, like can you do an external little abdom- like abdominal massage with a little castor oil and kind of get things manually moving from the outside that could be helpful too or even just getting in a state of more like relaxation and kind of getting out of that fight or flight and being able to be in that rest and digest and release a lot of that waste that is no longer literally no longer serving you a lot of times when we have gut issues too which I see this on bioresonance when I see areas like the thyroid come up as needing support or any part of the like GI tract or um, the colon it has a lot to do with, yeah, the physical stuff we're experiencing, but also usually the state of where we are, like emotion wise, or even kind of how we're wired as people in general, the colon, when I see it pop up, it's usually, we are very hard on ourselves. We're very, like we have very high standards. Um, if we don't meet those, we can kind of beat ourselves up about it. We tend to be a little bit more on the driven or go, 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 or sometimes even that perfectionist thread that runs through us. Um, and then having issues around esteem at some point tends to be another common theme with the colon or just even experiencing some of the just gut distress or just imbalance with the even bowel movements. And then thyroid, when I see that one come up for women, we tend to at some point have to have swallowed our words or bite our tongues or maybe not being in a safe place where we can express what we're feeling or what we're thinking. That can cause a lot of stagnation to that organ and like your thyroid in particular. So you can see actual physical thyroid stress happening, but it can be attributed to a lot of more that emotional state or literally swallowing your emotions and causing some of that on the energetic or emotional side stagnation there in the body. And a lot of the tissues of the body will hold on to a lot of that. If we're not in a state where we're really processing some of what's in front of us situation wise or you know, trauma wise, even if they're small traumas that we experience doesn't have to be something big will cause a lot of that stagnation too. So when I'm thinking more like something as, you know, getting bowels to move, I'm looking at that too. Like what's your emotional state? Do you feel safe? Like, is there some reason why you're holding on to that? Maybe, you know, emotionally that could be adding to that factor too, beyond just the physical, you know, lack of hydration, lack of movement, and maybe lack of like fiber intake or just the nourishment needs to 
um, you know, be tweaked a little bit for better support. Oh yeah, for sure. They are all in the same and they all play a role. And as you're saying that, I'm like, oh crap, (laughs) she's reading my mail. That is so me. It's not even funny. And I'm like, dang it. And I remember (laughs) hearing someone say for the first time when they were talking about like bowels and constipation stuff that they were like, typically these types of people just, they can't let go. Like they can't let go of control. And I'm like, shut up you know I'm like no that's not that's me that's so me I'm the problem but it is so true if we never bring in the aspect of the mental and emotional piece we could do all these things for our health and it would still never fully move the needle unless we're willing to dive into that piece yep yep yeah a thousand percent that's why I know like the detox and all that supplements protocols, they get a lot of attention because it's, it's something like you could check off, right? It's like, I have, it's almost the control aspect of it too. But I know for myself as a practitioner, I know a core like practice for all of us at Rooted, we don't put a huge emphasis on the pathogens and the toxins in general. Yeah, they're important, but we really like when we're coming up with a game plan, we just want to focus on supporting your body and really nourishing that overall resiliency, vitality, not forcing the body to have a bowel movement or forcing it to, you know, purge or kill a pathogen or even a toxin. We're always going to encounter toxins. We're always going to encounter pathogens, viruses. We don't want to be on the endless merry-go-round of supplements and detox protocols. I mean, I don't, and I don't, I don't really want that um, for my clients either. I want them to live. I want them to be able to, to know that their body is resilient and that it has that vitality to whenever it encounters something, it can handle it with ease and they're not having to run to, um, you know, I need magnesium now. I need, you know, I'm getting a little constipation. Like it's like, let's do again, the things that are not appealing or sexy when we think detox and drainage, it's like, we've got to do those lifestyle things first and foremost, like your foundations have to be solid. And, and it's, it's not a perfection thing. We're not going to have perfect foundations every single day. But again, just going back to the basics and not forgetting the not forgetting them along the way too, and getting lost in the endless things and, you know, biohacks and gadgets and protocols and supplements. Right. And that's I feel like that's what I really am hearing you say is, you know, how are you living? Are you living life? Are you getting outside? Are you eating enough? Are you going and seeing getting sunlight? Are you going out in nature? And it's so funny because I feel like we can get so caught up in all the little nitty gritties of health and different Mm -hmm. things like that. But really, it just comes back to are we even connected to the own body that we're in? Are we even willing to just live and be and try to bring resilience and raise resiliency in our own bodies, in our own lives, so that our body can function optimally. So I, it's really refreshing to hear you bring this perspective and, and to talk about this and to really like teach people in this because it doesn't make people scared to live, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's that should be the goal for everyone. What yeah. we strive. Yeah, absolutely. So for those emotional aspects what are some ways that, you know, maybe some for someone who has thyroid issues and that is true of them, that they swallow their words, that they, you know, don't mm-hmm. feel like they can speak or whatever that may be. What is What are some practices like you encourage people in for something like that? Um, 
mainly when that comes up for people, like if it's something more pronounced for them, like it's a state that they're kind of stuck in, I usually encourage them just tap into like an actual program or community where they can get the accountability, connect with others who are kind of walking that same path right now. And then just learn various like different exercises or um, tools to help them along the way. I kind of just push them right there. Just just go and tap into a community. Don't try to self-navigate it at that point because it's it's going to be something that they're going to you know try a couple times and then not see any benefit from. They're not going to get that momentum pretty quick. Um, if it's something that's maybe a little bit of a newer stress or maybe just a, a, a current state of stress, maybe like a new mom um, where she's kind of more navigating some newer experiences. I always encourage things like journaling, if that's something that they gravitate towards or brings them joy, even grounding, like getting outside and just like doing nothing for five minutes and just putting your bare feet on the earth or even um, another really good entry, like easy one that you can find a lot of free resources for is uh, tapping or like the emotional freedom technique. I always tell those are kind of some of the ones I, I would always like kind of encourage people to explore to get started. But if it's more, again, that more chronic state that they're in, that they've been in for a while, I just have them tap into a group and just go and really prioritize that first, even beyond what we might be doing within our work together. Cause I think it's, it, that's really going to be a, a bigger obstacle for them if they're stuck in that nervous system state. That's awesome. So when it comes to detox, why is it so important that drainage is flowing really well before someone were to even consider detoxing and and what's the difference really? So for sure you don't, well, I think when we mainly talk detox um, in this kind of space, like when we're doing like root cause lens or root cause work, when it comes to detox, it's not the juice cleanse or like taking, even taking a binder or like milk thistle. To me, when we're doing detox, we're doing a targeted plan to address the individual's toxin load. And that I really want guided by testing. Lots of different options for testing for me, but I do think testing is important to come up with that tailored plan that's unique to the person in front of you. Um, and as a practitioner, again, like our, we don't really focus a lot on the detox aspect of the you know protocols or really the toxins or pathogens. Um, we really want to support overall that resiliency and using testing along the way um, when people are working kind of towards their overall goals. But yeah, the detox aspect different than drainage because maybe we're introducing things that are going to potentially change or, or impact that terrain, the physical terrain. So maybe like a you know, broad spectrum antimicrobial we're entering into the GI tract. What potentially could that shift within that microbiome potentially causing extra detox to happen and release of some additional waste products within the system. So if you're not primed to take on that extra stress that we are manually introducing to the body, because detox is a stressor on the body, you can run into more issues. Like if you're not, you know, if you got low energy overall, you're really pushing it aggressively with adding multiple, maybe antiparasitics in, um, that can, that can leave you in a more depleted state. So yeah, it's super important to, when we're entering into a specific detox protocol, we want to make sure we're not recirculating a lot of that potential waste and toxicity for it to then be reabsorbed by the body. That's just going to create more inflammation, more stagnation and more dysfunction, um, overall. 
And honestly, that's what's so beautiful about the body too, is that when you give it what it needs and you just stay consistent in those foundational things and you continue to support it, it will do what it needs to do on its own. Like we were built to be able to detox. Obviously there's a lot of things in the environment that are causing stagnation and making it a lot harder, but when we can just support the body and come alongside it in targeted ways, it will naturally start doing what it was created to do. So, but for someone who is just toxic load is high, the bucket is full and overflowing. What would you just say? I mean, the basics to start with, or just even ways that ways of living lifestyle, whatever it may be, where they can just be working on it themselves to continue supporting their bodies. I think Definitely um, starting with what are those big external factors? So are you drinking clean water? Like water, unfortunately, is like one of the biggest sources of just contamination for us, even though they are, you know, giving us clean water. It's not water that still, you know, doesn't have microplastics and pharmaceuticals or heavy metals leached within it. It's really unfortunate. So I would start with some of the external things that we maybe have a little bit of control of. Um, based on kind of what what they can do with their budget too. So look at your water, look it up, um, EWG tap water database, start there, it's free. Look up your zip code. What are the top contaminants in your water, in your municipality? And then look for the best filter you can get with your budget. Start there. So and then- One question. People always say, is a Brita enough? (laughs) And for the people listening saying, oh, I have a Brita, I'm great. Can you tell them why they need to know? Here's the thing. Just like we should be looking at vaccination inserts and having informed consent. Even you have that third-party testing or they usually will give you, even with the Brita, what contaminants that filter is going to be able to reduce, one, reduce or eliminate. So that's another thing too. When people think, well, I have a filter. Yeah, most filters will reduce contaminants to a certain level. Um, as opposed to we thinking, oh, it's going to get 100%. Likely not the case. We're still going to be getting some um, within the, the the final filtered water. Plus, over time, they're going to lose some of their effectiveness too. So staying on top of changing out the filter. But yeah, Brita typically is going after making the water taste better. So maybe removing some of the chlorine um, or anything kind of more like chemical that we're picking up on smell-wise or taste-wise. But beyond that, it's not going to get, you know, some of the heavy metals or even the pharmaceuticals that some areas have higher contaminations and definitely not any like radioactive elements that are going to be within the water too. But yeah, Brita is usually not not a real um, robust filter. Okay, but yeah, thank like, you. I think the better thing is like, actually look it up. Like it, the information's within what you're buying or you could look it up before you buy, but it'll show you what it's supposed to or what it's, it, what it's um, able to kind of reduce within the water. But yeah, whenever you're looking at any any filtration system, don't just go with the latest and greatest. Look at what you have in your water and then what that filter you're looking to invest in, what it actually is made to reduce or remove from the water. That's good. You can continue. I just had to make that slight tangent, but got it. No, no, that was perfect. Um, So hydration. Oh, it's a toxin load. And then even looking at what are you using daily on your skin? So, you know, are you maybe you have a, a lotion that you really love, but it's, you know, loaded with fragrance. A lot of that's going to be really disruptive to your hormones and just your adding to your toxin load. So can you make some of those smaller swaps over time to really reduce what you're putting on 
um, and exposing your body to daily. And then food, you know, would fit into that too. Even if it's, you can't do organic, even just switching from like the package processed to whole foods as much as possible and getting the best quality meat that you have access to would be a great, I think those areas like food, water, um, what you're putting on your skin. And then I would say to like air quality, if we're spending a lot of time in environments like in an office all day, um, or even in your home all day, if you work from home or spend a lot of time at home, making sure your indoor air quality is at least being um, handled to some extent, or you have some extra support because there is unfortunately a lot of just off-gassing. And if we're stuck within our homes, you know, smaller area, we're, we're kind of going to be breathing that into. So air filtration um, would be another priority too. But yeah, just some of the, that would be more like the foundational things to just focus on when it comes to and load. So good. Can you talk a little bit about bioresonance and just the work that you do with women and people? I don't know. Do you just work with women or do you work with anybody? Yeah, anybody. Um, cool. So at Rooted2, um, lately, we've been working with a lot of, we see all types of cases, kiddos. If you could take you know, a sample of hair um, and saliva, then, then you can start with bioresonance. So bioresonance doesn't, it's a very non-invasive test option. Of course, it's not diagnostic. It's going to be in that alternative realm, but really we're looking at energetic frequencies based on somebody's hair and their saliva signatures. So we're matching it with, I mean, the, the world is made up of energy and any, every energy has its own frequency and its own almost like, you know, number that you can like label it with. I always like to tell people in like super basic terms when they ask me, like her husband jumps on, like, what is this testing about? I'm like, look, you know, that machine you put in your car to get codes for airs. I forget what it's called, but you know, you plug it in and it, oh yeah, code, you know, four, five, eight, three. Oh, oh, it's the brake pads. I need to like, look at those. That's kind of what we're doing with your hair <laughs> and your saliva samples. We're looking at some of those codes that pop back up and patterns. And we're looking at you holistically. We're looking at emotional state. We're looking at certain organs of the body that might come up as needing some support. And then we're even looking at um, the, the or, your oral microbiome, your teeth, meridians, um, and we'll see other factors too that we can pick up on, whether that be maybe some environmental things like, hey, do we have you know, mycotoxins flagging for someone? And do we have other patterns of potential mold popping up for someone? And then we can have that conversation of like, maybe it would be a priority to, you know, get your house checked out. Or do you know you have any big actual water damage environment exposures that have been part of your leading up to maybe experiencing symptoms? So we could just kind of piece together everybody's more um, like their, their overall, you know, years, a uh, journey leading up to when they had symptoms. Like that's really important, that timeline too, for a lot of people, but at rooted right now, we're seeing a lot, unfortunately of infertility cases and vaccine injury cases, which, um, you know, probably not, you know, it, uh, it's, uh, it's so common right now, but probably not for, I mean, it's not, it's not like a, like, wow, you know, why are we, you know, noticing all that? It's like, you know, kind of the time of the state of the world that we're in right now and kind of that experience of, yeah, we're noticing that toxin bucket over time now linked with just really affecting fertility or coming out of the last four years, some of the potential injuries that people have suffered from vaccinations that they either were forced to get or, you know, out of fear chose to get to. So that's a lot of the cases that we're seeing now. 
Um, and with it, Christine, which I haven't brought her up yet, but she's the founder of um, Rooted in Wellness Co. and one of my mentors. And she has beautifully layered in like targeted support with um, for, for infertility in particular with her Rooted in Hope um, homeopathy fertility protocol. And then she's just brought on no sods within to the practice too. So we do use a lot of homeopathy in addition to like nutraceuticals or herbals when we are working with clients um, to strive for that um, overall resiliency. So we do have a lot of different tools that we utilize with people, but specifically the homeopathy for the infertility challenges um, and people just, you know, on their fertility journey or for those who have had uh, adverse effects from the vaccination. Um, That's mainly a lot of the cases we're dealing with like currently. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I will definitely just link all of her information below so that you guys can reach out because man, it would be so awesome. Um, It's cool because it's not really accessible. Like if you were in like Europe, you can have like better access to some of these things, but here in the States, it's, it's not as accessible, not as as readily available. So now having an option here, it's going to be really cool specifically for people who are wanting to kind of layer in extra support. And it's something they can do while they're doing like IVF, if they're having to pursue that route. And it really layers in as a, as a nice, like beautiful support alongside that. Wow. That's yeah, that's incredible. And I, I only have heard of a few people doing bioresonance and you guys mm-hmm. are one of them. And so I'm so glad because it's such a supportive tool and it, and also in terms of the energetic side and the emotional mm-hmm. mental side that also plays a role into it. So kind of some things that we talked about today, it all plays a part in just the testing that they do. So I ask everyone on the podcast, one question I ask, how did you previously define health and how do you define it now? Just as we land the plane. Got it. Love this. Okay. I'd say pride before how I defined it was probably shaped by a lot of like greenwashing terminology. So non-toxic, organic, biohacks, like restriction, fear even, or, oh, clean eating. And now it's really just that trust. My body is resilient. I don't make decisions out of fear. I try to remain curious with new information that comes up because it always is. I will research to feel empowered. I know there is no finish line when it comes to my wellness and I will always strive to provide my mental, physical, spiritual self with what it needs to thrive. That is so good. I love it. It's all encompassing. And so that is wonderful. You guys have to follow her on Instagram because she also shares the best recipes. I mean, they're not even recipes. It's just like what you're eating. And they're so creative. Like I'm so inspired by them because I'm like, I need to do better in this area and be more of a person who loves variety. No, I mean, as long as you're consistent, like as long as you're nourishing your body, that's all that's all that matters. Oh my gosh, they're so creative. I love them. So anyway, we're (laughs) just so grateful to have you on. Thank you so much, Sophia. Yeah, thanks for having me.